Have you ever lost something that you desperately wanted to find? Now we can take this very metaphorically. Like, I miss the good old days. Boy, I wish I could find them. Or a little more abstract. I wish I could find the lost physique of my youth. Like when I worked long days on the farm versus the many years behind the desk. Or more concrete, I really need to find my cheat sheet that has a record of all of the special dates with the courting process with my wife. Now, fortunately, my wife revealed the location of such list when she was making a joke about its existence to a friend. I got out of it on that one. Our psalm from the subsection of Asaph has a feel like it, like the congregation and the psalmist have lost God. They want him back desperately, and this is their cry, their plea. More to it, we are continuing on with Pastor Nick's opening purpose statement. How do we keep saying God is good amongst the chaos? This morning, we get to look at how do we keep saying God is good amongst the chaos when we feel that God has left us? With this type of text, it might be helpful to take a swing at the context and why the writer chose the words they did. Some verses that help set us up with context. Verses 5 and 6. You have fed us with the bread of tears and give them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Verses 12 and 13. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. And lastly, verse 16, they have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. There is not consensus, but some folks think that this is speaking of the very imminent threat in a sort of prophetic voice of the destruction of Samaria, the northern kingdom. Option two is that they are currently being besieged and destroyed as they write this. And the last option is that they've all been all carried off already by the Assyrians. There are clues within the psalm that indicate that this was either written at the same time as the first part of Isaiah or the psalmist has read Isaiah as they use some of the same ideas and similar language. And all of these bad things within the psalm have some real physicality to them. The people no longer have bread to eat and all they have is sadness to produce tears to drink as food, much as what we read of in Psalm 42. That is pretty sad, isn't it? Their neighbors laugh at their affliction. To get really physical, the walls have been destroyed. That which gives the inhabitants of the cities protection is gone. Marauders and armies can freely raid the cities. And even worse, pigs have come to eat at them, to root them out and destroy. This is one of the worst images to use to convey how bad it has gotten for the Hebrew people, as bacon is viewed as really bad. Think of the parable of the two sons and how the son has to go and eat pig's food when things have gotten really terrible. There's also some really cool allegory within the psalm. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This is the part that reads a lot like Isaiah. 
the use of the vine. This is a quick and allegorical recount of when God was with them, and they could clearly feel it, see it, and know it. God saves them, redeems them, and brings them out from Egypt. He cleared the way for them to live in the promised land. The Lord even helped them through conquest, which allowed the nation of Israel under King David to expand and grow and prosper. They were God's possession. He kept them. But then it turned south. Thus the confusion of the psalmist and the congregation. Why then, they ask, what gives? You were with us. You had a seat where we could meet with you in the temple. Our ancestors heard your voice. We could tell your right hand was upon us. At your right seat was your king, our king. It all went terribly wrong, and they now feel lost. Or maybe they feel that God has lost them. What we are left with in this is the resounding plea within Psalm 80. Right from the first two verses, the psalmist asked, What gives? You are our shepherd, our king, enthroned on the cherub on top of the ark. Shine forth. It is a request, this shine forth. They are asking that God would give them a theophany, a real revealing of God's presence. And then verse 2, in front of these northern tribes of Israel, act and save us. And that word at the end of save us is Yeshua in Hebrew. Or for us New Testament people, Jesus, the one who saves. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved, reads verse 3. This phrase is repeated again in verse 7 with a little modification and again in 19 with a little more changes to it. It's the chorus of this worship song. Now, not a Tomlin worship song, because there's only just the three versions of the chorus, and then the rest is all verses. But it makes sure to know what the point of the whole psalm is, because they repeat it. They repeat it to make sure we know what the point is. Within this chorus section, the first word from the top is shuv. This word is throughout Isaiah as well. It is the original Hebrew word for repent. This is not a call that they would repent themselves, though. Don't make the mistake as to who is asking what. Two options are present, though. One, it is God, it is a request that God would act and repent the people. Turn them around. Like when you grab a small kid on their way into the kitchen before supper to grab cookies. Grab the top of their head, turn them around, send them back out the kitchen. Option two, it is a request that God repents. As though God has somehow walked away, he has left them, and the psalmist is asking that God would return. Either way, there is distance between the Lord and the people reciting the song. Many will know the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the two sons from the Gospel of Luke. This concept of being restored is from the reverse point of view. Instead of a story about how God seeks and finds the lost, the psalm speaks from the point of view of the sheep or the son who had a good time but ended up eating pig's food. The active component in the text is not what God is doing, but a memory of what he has done and a hope of what he will do again. Back to our repeating course, there is again the call for God to be revealed to them, a theophany. And when and then what they hope that that restoring, that repenting will yield, that they will be saved. The word for saved is yasha, 
which is the root word for Yeshua, which is the Hebrew way of Jesus, right? You can't even say the name of Jesus without saying saved. And the last time they use the chorus, they amp it up. And instead of Elohim, God, they go for the divine name of the Lord, Yahweh. It's like an exclamation point at the very end. They also add on of hosts in the second chorus. This word for hosts can be like the stars in the heaven or more like a militant term, as in the army. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. If we take and remove all the smoothening that our English Bibles take out, literally, shuv, turn us, restore us, come back to us. The Lord of God, of armies, of the heavens, face, shine, save. Now that is a prayer to use when we get up in the morning. We are acknowledging pretty much every important point with our walk with God. The psalm never tells us what caused the vine to fail. That is the cool thing about a lot of these poetry in the psalms. It's actually ambiguous. There's not the normal you shouldn't have or you should have stopped doing this or you should do that like the prophets. Given the similarity or even reliance on Isaiah 5 where the vineyard is to be destroyed because of the lack of justice out of God's people, there's none of that rhetoric in the psalm. There is no dialogue like the books of Samuel or Kings like Omri was an evil and wicked king and was put to death. We can assume things like the Assyrians, that they are either worried about or that the Assyrians have already carried them all off and they're all crying on the banks. Well, not that's Babylon, but already crying because they're all lost from their home and their cities are destroyed. Or maybe it's the locusts of Joel or the droughts of Amos that have come. But that would defeat the ageless effectiveness of the psalm to be pastoral. And not a warm side hug coming in for a gentle thing. No pastoral as in the stick coming to give you a quick jab to the side to keep you on track. To keep one's soul and heart on track with the Lord. The text also allows us to take whatever trials we have in this life and splice them right into the world of the psalm. Like why is the world so messed up? And sadly that messed up is a catch-all to encompass the crazy world that we live in right now. A world where we might feel as though we are abandoned amongst the chaos. Riots for this reason are at political unrest all over the world, both here and abroad. Explosions that wipe out hundreds of people at the time. A disease that rears its head at the first slip-up and causes havoc everywhere. It's easy, though, to just take this and apply it to a nice big world context. It's very easy to just go, well, it's the world around me where this chaos exists, and I feel lost in it. My personal challenge with this is to land the plea, to land the sadness, to take all of the loss that you read within the psalm and put it in your own life. Why does it feel like the neighbors are laughing at me, the people around me are, well basking in the destruction of my own life. What gives? Where are you, God? Why have you left me? Why does it feel like I'm standing, well, all alone? But still, you think everything is good, everything is fine. 
you know, God and me. We're like this. Everything's rolling good. Why does it feel like I'm on my own, all alone, and you are somewhere far away? My heart said we were good, but the world is destroying me. Of course, there's a choice in all of this. We can choose the opposite as well when we feel that we are lost. We can choose not to seek, to not wait in faith, and use something else that fills the emptiness. The deceiver loves to take that opportunity to give us the option of filling that space with money, sex, power, whatever. The decision to choose the things of this world to ease the pain in one's heart caused by the chaos will most likely be easier. Psalm 80 gives us the plea that we need to remember. Shema, when we feel like we are lost. And that is the rub. As Laurie spoke of last week, we love and serve a sovereign God, a Lord that acts as he acts and not the way we demand. The space between the promise of restoration and the everyday can and will be hard for those of faith, those of the vine. But if we remain within the vine, despite the chaos, that is, we keep faith, we grow and know where our life comes from. We know who saves us. So amongst the chaos, may we remember who restores us when we feel like we are lost. And may we have faith that the Lord will return and save us from the suffering of this world. May we trust that Jesus will return as promised and stand amongst us and we would be in his actual presence. Yes, we live as saved people, but we still bear trials. We wait for that of which is to come. Revelation 21 reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. May we hold on to these promises when the chaos swirls around us. May we remember the plea that God would restore us, come back to us, and that we would see his actual presence in our lives. And may we remember what he has done for us in the past. Amen.